You're the big, big boss. You tell me what to do, and I gladly do my job. But I don't like your attitude. Hey, everybody. I hope you're ready for another great episode. We pick up right where we left off last, segue from the psychological safe zone into the concept of cognitive tunneling. Errol stresses the importance of being able to slow down or stop cognitive tunneling during appropriate times. Leadership in Tech, Episode 8, Cognitive Tunneling, is brought to you by the Tech on Ramp Project, helping non-tech folk find their way into a tech career and helping tech workers become leaders in their industry and teaching leaders ways to address common issues in tech that were previously taken for granted. A new episode is released every Tuesday, and show notes, info, and more can be found at techonramp.com. Look for us on Twitter and on Facebook. Both are at TechOnRamp. Thank you, and enjoy our eighth installment in the Leadership in Tech podcast series. Now tell me, who do you think you are? Besides the person who happens to be in charge. All right, so the last episode, I was hoping we were going to talk about stress, but you double-crossed me, and we did the whole psychological safe zone thing. Yeah, because we were... uh... Because you knew we were going to talk about stress eventually, but psychological safe zone was first. The second part of it is something called cognitive tunneling reactive thinking. Again, I'm completely stealing these terms. Um, not the philosophy, but you know, if, if you're really interested in a more in-depth review of some of these things and the examples, like the Google study that we cited in the last episode, for example, the book is, is Smarter, Faster, Better. Um, and it's just it's an excellent book and so I'm just I just took the terms for what they use to describe these things because it's just easier so you know and we'll put the links to the book and the Google study on our show notes page yeah all right good that's a good idea um, wow you're you're smart <laughs> <laughs> well we'll have someone put it up there right. so you know, cognitive tunneling, reactive thinking could really just be called decision-making process. It but sounds fancier when it, you say it. It the sounds first way. fancier the first way. And re- re- literally, what it is, it's a literal and figurative um, tunneling of your vision and emotions under moments of extreme emotion, typically stress. Right. So think, think you're driving in your car, right, and you're kind of in that stage where you're paying attention, but your mind's somewhere else, right? I think what was that the, the the alpha stage or something like that? There's a whole book on. Never mind. Um, did you ever drive somewhere, and you got home, and you're like, I don't oh, even, all the time. I don't even remember it, the road. It's a little yeah. f- it freaks me out, but yeah. I think I'm a really good driver when that happens. <laughs> right. So it's, there's a whole there's a whole psychological process that's going on there. But anyway, imagine you're there, right? And you're driving along. I'm driving where I don't know I'm driving? Or we're just driving? Or you're just driving. Okay. Because either way, you're still doing the same mechanics, whether you know where you're going or you don't. And you hit a patch of ice. Oh, this just happened to me last year. You hit a patch of ice. I hit a patch of ice. It was 4.30 in the morning, 5 in the morning, pitch black. I was driving to the train for New York City. I had grabbed a piece of bacon uh, (laughs) to eat 
on my way out the door. And so I'm driving. I hit a patch of ice. I literally spun out into the grass uh, right next to it. Didn't hit any cars. Didn't hit anything. Super lucky. Spun out into a patch of grass and stopped. And I was just sitting there shaking. And all I could think of is I should get rid of this bacon (laughs) because it seems somehow incriminating. (laughs) And that... That's actually a perfect example because you focused on something. You focused the bacon. I was holding. You focused, I was like, "Is it the bacon's fault?" Right, and, and, and that's kind of it. So, right. So, imagine what happened when you hit that patch of ice. All your focus and energy went zoop, and I'm making a kind of a tunnel vision in front it of my crazy. eyes. It was crazy. I was shaking afterwards, yeah. and and you weren't thinking. You didn't know if there's any cars passing you. Like Nothing. right now, we're sitting in this room, right? I've got I'm 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 relaxed. I can see people walking in the hallway. I can still have the conversation with you. I'm I'm aware of my surroundings, right? Somebody with a gun, God forbid, walks in. That's a stress, and I'm probably going to be less aware of what the people in the next room are doing, right? And I'm going to be more focused on the shooter because that well, is. Well, I feel like if you were Jack Bauer, you would be more aware of everything. Well, it's also, but that's part of the point. It's a, it's a natural phenomenon. It's going to happen. The key is slowing. Where do you slow down and where do you stop that tunneling? Maybe you got lucky. Maybe you worked real hard. And just maybe that doesn't make you smart. If there's a moment of stress, and we've, we've talked a little bit about emotions in some of the other episodes, we'll get deeper in a, in a different episode, but it all comes together. Um, if I'm aware of emotions, if I'm aware and I'm just so aware of how I'm feeling, how my emotions are driving me, then I can quickly identify, whoa, I'm super stressed right now. I've identified that. I know what happens when I get stressed. There's a, cog- there's a phenomenon called cognitive tunneling. And I'm going to stop that right now. And I'm still going to maintain situational awareness because I am in tune to what my body's feeling, to what my emotion is. Okay, wait. I got to understand this. Okay. So, so go back to my black ice. Okay. The cognitive, the cognitive tunneling was what was happening for that 20 seconds I don't remember mm-hmm. while the car was spinning. Yeah. So, like, I have no way. I can't remember what was happening during that time. Right. I'd like to think that... I was like in slow motion turning the wheel in the proper direction to like stop me from going off. But I have no idea. I was just right. 20 seconds of blackout. Right. I then was just sitting, shaking, staring at bacon, really worried about the bacon. Yeah. And, I, you know, whether you did the right thing or not, which you probably didn't, you probably slammed on the brakes. You probably pulled the wheel in the wrong direction because that's what everybody does naturally. I feel that's probably did, is what happened. Right. Whereas if... Somehow you were in tune to be able to get in tune to that quickly to black ice, right? Which, you know, sometimes people do. It was clearly the winter. You might have thought, hey, I need to be ready for this. There might be black ice. If there's black ice, what Well, that was the thing. Normally I am aware. I, it was not it was a the, morning. Then it was the bacon. <laughs> it, no, it was not a morning where I had thought it stormed the night before. So mm-hmm. I, ha- I wasn't in t- never had a, a thought that the roads were, uh, were troublesome. Mm-hmm. Whereas if it was snowing or something, I, you should see me. I'm like a grandma. Like just sort of staring at everything, driving 20 miles an hour. But that morning I was not aware. So it did catch me on surprise. And so you're saying the cognitive tunneling is what was happening when the car was veering. And ideally, I could learn to be able to stop that. 
Yeah, now that's an extreme example, right? Driving and hitting a patch of black ice or ice, and you start spinning out. That That is just to illustrate. That's like a master class that, if you can do it there. Yeah, you know what I mean? But But you can do it, right? You can. And that goes back. We had talked about a mental model of success earlier. And we'll get into that, you know, another time in more detail. But if I have a mental model of success, I know it's, you know, I know that there's probably ice on the road. What will happen if, you know, now I'm picturing these things and, and now I'm ready. I'm kind of shining a light on it already. And I know that, you know, what emotion I'll feel if that happens. I'll feel stress. Okay, so what do I do when I get stressed? I lock up. So now you're shining a light on a potential problem. If that happens, your cognitive tunneling is going to be super slow and it'll stop at a reasonable level because you're ready for it. So imagine it's a spotlight in your face, right? Imagine you're not thinking about anything. You hit the patch of ice and I slam a huge spotlight in your face. Whoa, you can't see anything, right? But that's... That's the that's the event. The spotlight's the event. Now imagine I'm constantly having a small light shining on me. That's my mental preparation. That's my knowledge of my emotions. If these things happen, so when that light gets brighter, it's not overwhelming me. Does that make sense? So that's the cognitive tunneling is how you react. And then the reactive thinking part, right? So it goes hand in hand. You eventually go to what you know, okay? So if I am... Like slamming on the brakes? Like slamming on the brakes, okay? That's just my... I'm just going to that. I know that's what I'm going to do. That's my natural reaction. Well, it's not necessarily a good reaction. And we can fix that, right? Our reactive thinking, essentially, and I've, I've said this for as long as I can remember, when you're not sure, when you're stressed, you go to what you know. And what, you know, what I tell the clients, what I tell anybody who asks, what do you know under a certain emotion? Because we live in emotions. Our emotions dictate what we do. Okay, if we're happy, that dictates what we do. If we're mad, that dictates what we do. So if, if for example, when I get angry, I curse, I lash out, I'm just, and I just go to what I know in moments of stress, I'm angry. Oh, F-bomb, S this. Okay, a lot of times it might not have any effect. What happens if you're doing that in front of a client? You know what I mean? That's not ideal. Right, so that's why it's important. Okay, so, so I think I get this. So the black ice example is an extreme one, and it's, it's a good example, but it's not the target example because that's happened to me once in 30 years. Right. You're talking about the kind of stress that I would feel over and over in the course of a year mm-hmm. in my profession and so thus you can sort of train yourself to handle that because you know it's coming. Yeah, because you're, you're in touch with your emotions. Um, and, and again, it's preparation, identifying emotions, you know, how you act when you feel a certain emotion, right? When I'm stressed, what do I do? Again, I'll just use the example again. When I'm stressed, I lash out. I make fun of people. Like, okay. I guess, you know, sometimes sometimes it might even be an appropriate behavior. For me, it's the opposite. When I'm stressed, I withdraw. Right. And then what negative things are happening through your withdrawal? You know, I don't, there could be, we'd have to see what the situation is because that's, that's not as overt as cursing at somebody and it's a client. Well, what's the thing that you say, it's not what you 
allow it's what you tolerate it's not what you preach it's what you tolerate and so if you're stressed and you withdraw you and i inherently seem like i'm tolerating things that i make me stressed yeah it could be the the reaction of that is other people think i'm tolerating things right i'm withdrawing because i so don't tolerate them yeah so it's a very big mixed message it could be that you know it could be um it could be in the middle of a work environment you're stressed and you pull back and now somebody who you're working on it with makes a wrong decision but you know that's the wrong decision but your reaction is to withdraw and now something bad something bad just happened under a moment of stress because under you your w- watch because you withdrew right so there's a negative consequence a- again it's just you're flipping you're flipping a coin hoping it works out okay you know one of the things i talk about and the reason you know when i bring some clients through some of the events i bring them through it's to ev- evoke these emotions that i know that will exist right i take them out of the work environment and i bring them to a yoga class well i know that there's people who haven't put on a pair of gym shorts in front of somebody else in 15 you years. You don't make them wear yoga tights? I Or that, right? That's that's even better, right? Because that's that's a psychological safe zone. I've got to trust that nobody's going to make fun of me, right? I've got to trust these people that I can get in this environment and, and fail, and I won't be laughed at. But what I'm looking at, I'm looking at that. Then I'm looking at everybody's emotion. How are they reacting? And typically in that situation, when people are uncomfortable embarrassed, insecure, they go to um, humor. Oh, totally. Right? Yes. And usually it's humor at somebody else's expense. Oh. Okay? Hey, nice knobby knees over there. <laughs> okay? Now, here's what, and I, you just know this is going to happen, so I might bring that up to somebody at the appropriate time in the training. Oh, but everybody was so stressed that you know, they, needed, they needed a laugh. Like, right. And was that your intention? Is that what you, did you really consciously think? Because all that self-deprecating humor also, nobody was laughing at that. That's where I go. I go to the self-deprecating humor. And so the point was, humor might be needed somewhere in there. But it's only good to do that if you are consciously aware of that and then what you're going to do. If you're just saying, I'm insecure, so I go to jokes, and, and you flip the coin and hope it works. Right hope that that was the right emotion and it might have been well we don't really want to work on that level we want to work work on a conscious level i'm the leader i'm insecure when i'm insecure i make jokes i make inappropriate jokes or i make jokes that'll make people uncomfortable even if they're self-deprecating right because some people don't like that all right so don't do that i know what i've just slowed down my cognitive tunnel my insecurity is a cognitive insecurity is my cognitive tunnel whoop I'm insecure, and all I can now think about is making inappropriate jokes. Ah. And now my reaction is to make that joke. Well, no. What we want is to slow down that cognitive tunnel. I'm insecure. I recognize it. I also recognize, because I'm honest with myself, I do a self-assessment that when I am insecure, I make jokes that could be inappropriate. You Take a breath. You've just given yourself a fighting chance. If you've recognized that, and tried to stop it and correct it. Took a breath. I'm not going to make this next I'm joke. Not, and look, you might make it anyway. You're like, oh, man, I did. <laughs> okay, but at least you're on the right track. Damn it, and that was funny, too. Yeah, rah. You know, so if humor is appropriate, 
then find an appropriate way to be human. But it is flipping a coin. That's what. That's the thing. It's flipping a coin. It might work out sometimes, but it might not. Yeah. Um, So again, it's 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 decision making, and and when you don't, when you are not in touch with who you are, what you're about, where your feelings take you under extreme moments of emotion, usually stress, then you're flipping the coin about what happens next. Anger sometimes is good. Expressing anger is sometimes appropriate. But don't just get angry and then hope it's appropriate because it probably won't be. Otherwise, head to Las Vegas right now. Yeah, you might as well. <laughs> you might as well. I'll give you... Do we have time for one quick example? Yes, okay, course. and this is... You know, I am... I am a true arachnophobic. Spiders scare me to death. Really? Yeah. Now, my first deployment when I was in the SEALs was to Panama. Don't they have like eight-foot spiders there? In the jungle. We spent a huge amount of time in the jungle doing operations. There's nothing but huge spiders there. (laughs) Okay? So... Literally the first day, and I wasn't sure, and you know, again, this is how you learn. Well, you're not actually afraid of spiders. I am actually afraid of spiders. Like physically afraid? Physically afraid. Now, I've, I've done all these things all to right, overcome it. Right, so so we're, in the, we're in the jungle. It's like the third day we're in country, and there's obviously training areas in the jungle. So you know, they would set up a bench where you could eat lunch or whatever. You know. um, and I'm sitting across the, the table from somebody. And just eating lunch, and somebody throws down uh, in a clear plastic bag the biggest, hairiest spider you've ever seen. It was dead. It was like the size of a soccer ball. It was amazing. <laughs> now, cognitive tunneling. I fear was my whoop. I focused in because I froze, right? Well, let me go back. The guy across from me was also, unbeknownst to everybody, deathly afraid of spiders. His reaction was to scream, to show his fear. So he had cognitive tunneling also because he had an extreme emotion. He was deathly afraid of spiders. Well, I got lucky. I just, it was the right reaction to sit there and stare at it like it didn't bother me, even though nobody could tell that I was literally frozen in fear. I was flipping the coin. He had the wrong reaction. Why did he have the wrong reaction? Well, where do you think that spider found itself for the next six months? In his sleeping bag, on his food tray when he went to bed, on his pillow. You know, it was everywhere. (laughs) You mean all the other people were just messing with him every day? That spider followed. I mean, it was with us everywhere we went, and it always ended up where he was. So they just tortured him. They just tortured him, right? So, But that's an example, right? I had the right reaction, which was to not react. 50-50, you lucked out. I lucked out. So, you know, that's another example of it. Um, so if you're not in touch, what's our, what, you know, how do you get to this point? Everything that we're talking about, the self-assessment, assessment of emotions, guidelines, right? And then the guidelines and how do you have a mental picture of your success within those guidelines? And then you're thinking about it all the time. You're always shining a light on things. And then when it comes to make, when it comes time to make a decision... You slow down that cognitive tunnel, and your reaction is a leadership reaction. Well, what's a leadership reaction? It's something other than an involuntary reaction. How's that, right? It's something other than when I get angry, I scream at somebody. It's this this stressor just happened. I'm angry, and I know when I'm angry. 
I scream at somebody and I know that that is not appropriate right now, or if I'm going to scream, it needs to be, it needs to be a planned scream because I'm the leader. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. Assessing your reaction, making a leadership reaction. So how do you learn that? Like, how do you train that? You, you train it by doing it, right? You train it by doing it all the time. You train it by, first of all, you know, again, all the things we're going to talk about over the course of these podcasts, your self-assessment, right? You assess yourself and we can talk about assess your emotions, right? Assess your physical presence and your physical activity. Express, um, um, look at your, your moral, you know, your moral character. Where's your balance in life? Moral, mental, physical, emotional, um, you know, your mental, your mental pictures of things. Are you, are you looking at a situation before you get in there? And, and yeah, like a mental picture yeah, of how of, that meeting is going to go. Of going to go, right. And then, so once you get in tune with that, you're leading yourself. Right? That was our very first episode, leading yourself. We should probably do another one on that. Yeah, we will. You know, we'll get more detail, right? And then it's, okay, the guidelines that have been established, um, you know, what are those guidelines? Are they my own personal guidelines? Are they, you know, so you know where to go and where not to go. Um, and then that psychological safe zone, right, where ideas are put on the table and good ideas or actionable ideas are going to put on the table. Right now we're talking about a leader because if you're doing that, you're having meetings that are going to create actionable ideas. Now you're acting on that idea. When you're acting on something, there's going to be pitfalls. There's going to be stressors. and There's going to be need for leadership decisions. It's a life process. That's why you know, we talk about leadership is life, man. It's not just the nine to five of the business day. So I'm imagining now a team like four or five people in a room and a stressful event is going on, if everyone sort of doesn't have control of their cognitive tunneling, then like literally everyone's flipping coins. Flipping coins. You flip a coin, I flip a coin, five people flipping coins and interacting based on those coin flips. Right. So the outcome is highly unpredictable. Right, because think of it this way, right? So we're we're in a hackathon, right? Or we are in a in a in a programming situation. A hackathon's perfect. Yeah. That's stress. Right. So we're in that. Right. And I'm not aware of any of this. And my reaction under the stress is to scream at you and your reaction when you have somebody screaming at you is to withdraw. Totally. Now I'm screaming at you and you're withdrawing more. I feel like we're not going to win. <laughs> we are probably not going to win that situation. Right. But if I am at least cognizant enough to know when I get stressed, I get angry and I did. I just yelled. I can then at least be aware enough to go, hey, man, I'm sorry about that. Sorry, I didn't mean to yell at you. Boy, that just solved your problem a little bit too. You're like, okay, I withdraw when people yell at me. And he just said he was sorry. That's good. And even more, if you recognize where you go, that you withdraw under a certain amount of stress, you can meet each other halfway. Right. Like resist the urge to go get like my fifth coffee of the day and just <laughs> right. stay here, accept your apology, right. and like, keep and going. And just move on. And so, so the basis is you probably have a psychological safe zone so that we can, we can apologize and keep going. That's right. And then some awareness of our actions as we're sort of making decisions. And, that, and even still in that stressful environment, a psychological safe zone, right? Because you might say, Errol is clearly stressed right now. And I've got to recognize that emotion because we talked about that as part of 1A in a psychological safe zone. Dude, do you want to go to my next hackathon with me? Well, let's create a hackathon, man. <laughs> <laughs> let's do it. We can do that. That sounds fun. We go to a hackathon. We could put a company in a hackathon and make it a leadership event by pointing out where people are stressing, how they're reacting, right? If we just did that and, and said to somebody, you know, hey, Mary, where were you when you know, whatever happened? She might be like, I don't remember. Well, that's... <laughs> 
that's a good answer because now we can work on that. Or, yeah, I kind of freaked out and I lost control a little bit. Okay. What, if anything, were you aware of? The answer is probably nothing. But when we start talking about self-assessment, Mary is not going to have that happen to her again. I mean, so there's like a magnifying effect. There's you're fixing cognitive tunneling at the individual level, but it's making the team much more highly performant because everybody's interacting and communicating better. It, It all comes together. Right. And then you've always got the leader. Right. Who's the leader assessing this, watching it. Somebody gets off track. They say, Zach, you okay? Because I know Zach because I'm a leader because I know my people and I recognize his emotions because we talk to each other. We, we relay that. So you know I withdraw. Yeah. And I can come over and go, you okay? Get back in the game. You're all right. Boom. I've just snapped you out of it. It might take just as much as that. So this is what Navy SEALs do. You know, yeah. And, and we all do it for each other. You know, I was the leader of a platoon, but I was more fallible than anybody. So you count on that next person. You know, if, something, if something's got me uh, tunnel visioned to slap me on the back and go, you all right? Slap me out. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Thanks, man. I'm good. Back in it. Right? Because we're all recognizing what happens. We're in tune to each other because we trust each other because we've done all these things. We've accepted, you know, we've accepted, you know, weaknesses and strengths. We know each other. I know when you act like that, something's wrong. And I can, you know, it, it all just comes together. Um you know, in a firefight, you know, in Afghanistan, you know, I didn't see it a lot. You know, guys just kind of tunneling in and kind of losing their focus. But I know, no, actually, I did see it. I, I did see it. There was there was a time when um, there was a firefight and the guy in charge of the whole thing called for somebody to come up. And it wasn't one of the soldiers. It was it was somebody else. It doesn't matter why somebody else was with us. But. They were they were locked, you know. We were under fire. They were locked. They weren't moving. So you know, I got up. I got him. Snapped. Him. Hey, you all right? Let's go. Uh, I'm not going. Come on, it'll be okay. Oh, okay, yeah, let's go. You know, it it just happens. You know, so if you're aware, if you're aware of it yourself, we talked about this. If I know that that happens to me, then I'm aware that it might happen in other people, and I can help somebody else out. There's there's no downside to any of this. Boom. Boom. So, so my question to you is, you know, where does that resonate, you know, in the tech world? And we had talked a little bit about sometimes you wouldn't even notice things, and that's that should be a res, you know, resonating factor in of itself, right? Oh yeah, I mean, I I never noticed any of this stuff, and sort of what I gravitate towards, you know, my own story as an introvert and being shy was the sort of withdrawal cases, and for me, for sure, self-deprecating humor when I started to feel insecure and uncomfortable. And I mean, I could tell you, I mean, I remember a year where I would sort of always, if I was uncomfortable in front of a large crowd of my team, my people I was supposed to be leading, I would always return to the same material over and over in a sort of self-deprecating humor. And so much so that I think they actually started to believe the narrative uh, to the point where they would, sort of change their opinion of me if i well, right because self self-deprecating humor somebody just casually thinking about it will say well how can that hurt anybody right it's it's endearing but if you do it every day if you do it every you're day you're painting an alternate story that's I, right. I painted myself as sort of a cowboy who didn't follow the rules 
And after a while, you say that every day for a year, pretty soon people think like, man, Zach doesn't follow the rules. Like, I don't want to be like Zach. And I don't want to be around him. I, I don't, right. Like, I just need That's to not stay. a good example. I thought Zach was a good example for me, but maybe he's not because he doesn't value rules. Right. And I value rules. But meanwhile, you do. Sure. And, but yet, it was a negative, your self-deprecating humor kind of painted a negative picture. Correct. Because people are going to believe you eventually. Right. If my self-deprecating humor is, oh, I'm so stupid, I can't. Well, if I say that enough, people are going to believe me. You know, somebody pointed that out to me. What I, you know, I used to, we all do it, right? right? And that's a, where is it? That's insecurity, right? Totally. You only do self-deprecating humor in those examples when you're insecure, right? Sometimes it's fun when we're all sitting around friends and, you know, they get it. But this is a different environment. So you start saying, oh, man, I, don't, I got lucky on that one. Oh. Well, uh, you're, you're trying to press everybody, you know, that you did. But you say you got lucky enough. I'm going to start believing you're getting lucky. And when I have to pick my team, I don't need the lucky person. You know, I need the person who knows what they're doing. So there's never a good side to going to what you know when you don't know where that is. <laughs> you totally. know? I mean, I remember asking a colleague, why does everybody think I don't like to follow the rules? They're like, well, because you've been saying that for a year. <laughs> when have I been saying that? When you're joking around. I was like, oh, well, I was just joking. Well, they don't know you're joking. That's right. Right? And so... To be aware of that, when you're in a leadership position, you're supposed to be setting the example, right? Those small little things definitely add up. Yeah, and you know, we talked a little bit about the hackathons, right? And you know, offline, we were just saying, oh, you know, had you noticed the stress or whatever that people go under? And, and your kind of response was, I didn't really notice anything. And that's okay, because maybe because you were so focused, but that's also a form of cognitive tunneling and reactive thinking. Like the stress, you may not have felt internal, but there is stress, right? In a, in a hackathon, there's stress. That's the nature of it. So your thing was just to get so focused on what you were doing and not see around you. Okay. If you're, you know, I guess, you know, that's okay. We want to get away from that. But if you're, if you're the leader and you don't remember anything that happened, right? right. That's, you know, that's what I obviously wasn't assessing my team right. constantly right yeah and seeing where you go you know again we'll go back to the 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 combat you know this is my time in the fbi and the seals you know if i'm in charge and there is action going on and somebody asked me after the fact what happened and i go i have no idea what happened that's not a good answer man right <laughs> that's well, a bad answer as a matter of fact in technology i feel like teams strive to avoid stressful situations because you're not on a battlefield and so you're not in a gunfight and so if a stressful situation can be avoided they do so that's why not everybody likes hackathons i happen to like the sort of 12-hour crunch um and the chaos that comes with sort of the pressure a lot of people don't like that well of course and, and so teams sort of avoid stressful situations in general and so then you're even less likely to train to right. be able to handle this stressful situation. Well, you know, and here's why, and here's what, and that's, that's a great lead into a very basic point. You know, when I'm, when I'm instructing folks, you know, I'll eventually say, somebody tell me the difference between, you know, leading a SEAL platoon, you know, leading FBI agents on a huge case or operation and um, managing an IT team. Somebody tell me what the differences are. Nothing. The, the answer is nothing. So why do we have to have the consequences of bad leadership to be life and death in order to exhibit the good leadership qualities we need for success? 
put those, you know, so, right, if people are afraid of stress, I get it. Everybody is afraid of stress. Nobody wants to fail. Nobody wants to look stupid. But psychological safe zone, hey, we're all going to do this. We're trusting each other. A lot of us are going to fail. Who's picking the other one up? Who's helping? Who's being supportive? All upside, all generated by the leader, right? If, if they're not putting his team in that situation, right, let's just stay mediocre. Right, and so, <laughs> so you almost want to put your team under stress. I know, um, and so some of the best technology teams, um, you know, there's this idea that, uh, you know, computers and technology fails eventually, right? Your server could crash, your phones could go down, and when that happens, it's a very stressful event. Your website went down. Uh, everybody's running around. You got to get it back up quick, quick, quick. And so people plan for that. You write a disaster recovery plan or have contingency plans for someday. If our website fails, what could we do? But those events are often so infrequent. It might be two years before your website fails. Mm-hmm. And then the day comes and someone pulls out the plan and it doesn't work. And you haven't been under stress and everybody's running around. The alternative approach, and some really good companies do this, is every Friday, let's just uh, unplug one of our computers and see what happens, and everybody fix it. And when everybody works together to fix it, they learn what the fix is and document that and sort of uh, document it and sort of codify it in their team. Oh, if this happens, this is how we fix it. Do it again next Friday. Plug, turn something else off. Everybody runs around and tries to fix it. So everyone on the team starts to learn how to fix the problems with their technology. And so then two years later, when it really happens, when the website's down, oh, we just did that last Friday. You just do that. So you almost train yourself to be able to handle failures in your technology. Right. You're, it's, it's like the example we talked about. You're shy, you have a constant light on potential problems. Right. And that, So when the light goes all the way full, you're not blinded by it. You know, and the other thing is you might have an incredibly successful IT company, right? And you're just experiencing success. And if you don't ever practice those failures, right. you know, think of if you're a sports fan, think about that that team that's, you know, undefeated and all of a sudden they find themselves in a real battle getting beaten by an underdog and things are not going their way and they don't know how to handle it because they've not anticipated that. And somebody might say, "Well, we don't plan for failure." We plan for success. Well, no, that's the two different things. You're not saying because you're planning for failure, you're planning to fail. You're planning to make that failure or those things that are going wrong so minimal because you've practiced those contingencies, right? Mental picture of success, contingencies. Those companies aren't practicing contingencies, and when they happen, they'll fail. Right. So, I mean, the example I always use is take Twitter. Let's say I start a website like Twitter today, and it gets traction and it grows, and I just hope and pray it never goes down, right? And it gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and there's 2 million people using it, and I, I really don't want it to go down, and then one day it goes down, and like it's just a total disaster, and I don't know how to handle it. Versus the real Twitter, when they started, I don't know if you remember, but they used to crash every week when they first started. They would crash every week, oh, Twitter's down again, and they would fix it, and then they'd crash the next week, and they'd fix it. After a couple months or maybe a year, they were experts and not going down anymore because they had done it so many times and sort of learned through those events that now their infrastructure was solid and they didn't crash again. So then by the time they had 2 million users, they weren't going to crash because they had sort of done all of that. Versus my site, I'm just kind of hoping and praying they have a one-inch document of what happens if we should crash. (laughs) But it's not (laughs) tested and the team's not ready and when we crash, it's going to be chaos 
and we'll we'll flip a coin. Right. Let's let, let, yeah. Let's just hope it works out for us. I mean, that, that's what's your plan? We just we're just hoping it works out. <laughs> we have a document. Yeah. We'll 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 just deal with it. We'll you know, that, like that's like that, that, that's the, the the macho tough tough girl answer. We'll, we'll just deal with it. Yeah. Okay. That I'd like a little more detail on that, please. What we should do? Let's take down the leader one nine three website right now. <laughs> That, Might as well. Does that cause stress for you? <laughs> See, so I was just going to do some de- self-deprecating humor, right? Might as well because nobody's looking at it anyway. That's <laughs> not true. A lot of people are looking at it. Leader193.com. <laughs> so. Good catch. So you sort of stopped your cognitive tunneling right there. Yeah, yeah. But that, that would induce stress on you if I told you the site was down? Yeah, and you know, and there's, there's insecurity, right? There's insecurity because you talk about my site and the business, and gosh, what happens if nobody is looking at the site? That makes me insecure. And the success of my company makes me insecure, right? And I could have just said, well, nobody's probably looking at it anyway. Well, everybody listening, like, nobody looks at that guy's site. Why are we even listening to this? <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, so right. It's, that's how it goes. You know, that, that's how it goes. Yeah, you're going to create a narrative, right? That's right. There you have it everyone, cognitive tunneling. I find this concept especially interesting since it's something that we all have experienced at one point, some of us more so than others, and it's not something that's exclusive to the tech world. We would love to hear your thoughts on the subject as well, so head over to iTunes and leave us a review. If you want to see what Errol does, you can check out www.leader193.com. To see what Zach and I do, drop by www.salt.io to see our tech on-ramp project and how it's revolutionizing leadership in tech and how people enter the industry. Go to www.techonramp.com. You can find our podcast, Leadership in Tech, on Stitcher.com, PocketCast.com, SoundCloud.com, Player.fm, iTunes, Google Play Music, and more on the way. Thank you for listening and enjoy your week. I don't like your attitude